Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How did get 30, 30, get 30, bet get 20, 20, 20, bet get 20, 20, bet get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. I'm Sophie Scott. And I'm James Gill. Our mission is to make wellness accessible to everyone. We'll be chatting with our favourite people. Sharing uplifting news stories. And delivering tips and tricks. To bring balance to your lives. Hello, welcome to the Balance Podcast. Our guest today is Joel Domert, one of the nicest people I've ever met. Um, Fantastic comedian, a fantastic TV presenter, the host of the mega smash hit, The Masked Singer. Um, Joel's a good friend, and so it was nice to be able to look a good friend in the eyes and confess that I never thought that the masked singer would be the thing that would unite us as a nation. (laughs) But it is. Um, In these divisive times, uh, it is genuinely lovely to go on to... So I gig every Saturday night, so I, I don't really get to see the show, but when I'm not on stage, I am on Twitter seeing... Joel show trending, dominating the, the the top ten, top twenty, and what's lovely is uh, is seeing people from all different backgrounds uh, helping each other, trying to crack the identities of of these masked singers. And it is it's, it's one of the few times where social media is super positive, and uh, and it, and it's lovely. And there's no better person to be the figurehead of that show than, than Joel Dommer, who is all those things. He, he's lovely. He's warm, brings people together. If you've ever seen him live, um, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. He's, uh, his live shows make for a very special experience. He He's filled with so much love and positivity and heart and warmth. Um, I urge you to, to buy a ticket to his new tour. He goes on tour soon. I've seen many iterations of this show right from the very beginning i've seen him work it up to a full show and it's uh it's wonderful i can't say enough good i i, I feel very lucky to know joel he's a he is um a, a great guy he the, the guy's an absolute uh diamond i love him a great deal the masked singer is on itv1 on saturday evenings um if you if you haven't if you haven't got on board it's such a a, a weird and wonderful uh experience from what i've seen as i say i do gig saturdays but from what i've seen 
it's absolutely bonkers. But in the again, in the greatest way possible, with people trying to work out who it is that's dressed as a tree, <laughs> or you know, or a monster, uh, or an octopus, um, and it, it's it's been hugely positive. Um, Joel's story is also inspiring. I know that it was the Oasis, the Oasis line. You've got to make it happen is what inspired, say, Kevin Bridges. And Joel is also proof, proof positive of someone who just made it happen themselves, whether it was getting into comedy or whether it was even when he was on the jungle, knowing that he could be the standout because of his natural warmth and humour. He explains all of this. Um, everyone on the comedy circuit loves Joel and people I know in TV love Joel and uh, you will love him too. God, what a, I'm nearly, as ever, nearly weeping here. Um, and I, I tell you what, I, nearly, I, I very nearly weep in my intro in the studio uh, with Joel because, uh, yeah, top dude. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Joel Domert is the, a, a prince among men. Here he is. Uh, well, this is exciting because I'm able to say that I'm joined with uh, one of the hottest names in comedy and entertainment. Fucking have that, my friend. Thank you. Is uh, is Joel Domitz. It's been. My, I'm, I, it's very rare that I nearly tear up in the intro. I usually save it for <laughs> ten minutes in. I, I, I genuinely nearly went there. We've been friends for a good number of years, and to sit here and have a good friend be the host of the smash hit on Saturday night primetime television. Probably gives me as much pleasure as it as it gives you. I already mean that. Um, how? I mean, let's 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 be totally honest. How 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 does this feel? Because the fact that this is, I think I'm right in saying, your first Saturday night primetime show. It's not just that it's it's a modest hit. It's that it's become this mega hit. And not only that, I've said to this before. It's a hit that it's united the country. You know, mm. people are coming together. Well, 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 well. I think Hedgehog is this person. Yes. I mean, that's it's that's awesome, isn't it? It's just an insane. Thank you, by the way. Firstly, um, it's a lovely intro. Probably the best <laughs> intro I've ever had. And. Um, yeah, it's just like what a job, what a lucky boy I am. It's that thing where, like, you know, you you've known me for years, and it's that thing where you you know I've been doing comedy now for thirteen, almost fourteen years, and to 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 be to see the sort of the fruits of your labor, and um, to to just be sort of handed a a hit show that also you know is going to relatively be a hit because it's been a hit in other places so it's it's a format that you know works and it's it's a fun show to be involved in because from my point of view you know it's not i have it's not a lot resting on my shoulders because it's such a good format that all i've got to do is guide the ship into the port you know it's like i know it's going to be it's. I know it's going to be a great show, and uh, and so it's just. I'm, I feel really. I feel really lucky and um, privileged, and I'm just. Uh, I'm sort of riding on this wonderful wave, really, and uh, I love that everyone loves the show. Like you said, it's. I love that it's creating conversations. That whether that conversation is, have you seen this fucking weird show? Whether that conversation is, who is Hedgehog? Who is Monster? You know, it's so mad. People literally, basically, everyone's response to the show is, "What? The, what is this rubbish?" On Saturday night, can't believe it. Worst show I've ever seen. And then five minutes later, they're like, "Oh, I'm addicted. Who's Hedgehog?" <laughs> 
Who's that dog? I need to know where that dog is. This is the rubbish show I've ever seen. Who's that dog? So it's like, I've, it's the first show I've ever been involved in where someone will actively tweet me hate and then apologise. That's amazing. They literally are apologising. A week later, I had like three of them. Like, horrible tweets. Horrible tweets. And then the next week, it'd be like, I'm really sorry I said that. I really love the show now. Like, when has that ever happened? For transparency, I'm typing this while dressed as a hedgehog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely love the show. Uh, hoops that dog. I'll be honest with you. In these, in these, div- and, I, and, and this is this is true. There are there are thousands upon thousands of tweets to back me up here. In these politically divided times, I didn't think that the masked singer was going to be the thing that brought us all together as a yeah. as a country. But the great thing about social media, and that's not a sentence you get to say very often. But the great thing about social media is, and I know, I've said this to you in private, but teamwork. You know, strangers, someone from Newcastle is helping out someone from Ipswich, who's helping out someone from Portsmouth, because they're trying to work out, oh, well, 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 the clue was that she once sang with blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's 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 beautiful, isn't it? It's like people are turning into, like, you really you realise that everyone wants to be Sherlock, you know? Yeah. And um, everyone, there's no better feeling than being like, I guessed it. I guessed it. See that tweet? I guessed yeah. it. And so that's what everyone's getting involved in. And... Um, I saw I saw someone the other day who t- who tweeted the way that they they basically went into someone's Facebook live video that they'd done, right? Years ago. Oh my god. And it was a Facebook live video and they paused it at the moment that this person in the Facebook live video was uh, crossing their arms. The way that this person was crossing their arms and then they put that next to the character at Mars Singer and went, look, they are crossing their arms in the same way. Like, that's how deep it's got. So these are people that really should be working for MI5. MI5. Yeah, 100%. And they're putting that... 100%. It reminded me of the Netflix Don't F With Cats Oh, my God. That That show. That show. Oh, my God. That is insane. I mean, imagine if Hedgehog turned out to be a serial killer. (laughs) You got the right people on the case. Yeah. Uh, how how did it come about? Now um, the thing is with, with comedy as well is like you'll have you'll have said there thirteen fourteen years. A lot of people a lot of people won't realise that in in comedy terms that's I'm not saying it's new or anything like that, but it's you're still not exactly a veteran even though you've done fourteen years. Yeah, I mean it's I was with Rob Becky last night. We were filming at Ten Cats and. Um... You know, it's a mad thing that you realise that we are all, like, we're not the new bunch anymore. Like, you still feel new. Yeah. Because because comedy, by its by its purity, is that you are learning all the time. Like, every time you go on stage, you go, Every like, oh, gig, yeah, you learn that. something new. Yeah. yeah. And so you always feel new. I think you always feel like, you know, that you're the new guy at work. And I, th- I think, personally... Um, it's just such an exciting time in comedy right now. I think I couldn't agree more. There's so yeah. many new acts that are doing so much great stuff. I think there's so many incredible females who are just like doing such beautiful work. It's and Maisie like, Adam, yeah, Maisie good Adams is so good. Yeah. You know, Catherine Bohart yeah. was on last night. She's so funny, and it's just like you know, and there's there's hundreds of examples and. You know, t- t- 10 years ago, that wasn't the case. You kind of had to be like, oh, there's a few, but like, 
and but it's great to see sort of again the like like Sarah the the Sarah Millicans who were the generation before have inspired an entirely new generation of people to 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 get involved and it's it's just it's so exciting to watch like I just I think you'll agree you'll say the same it's just like such a pleasure to be involved in this industry that constantly inspires me and I'm constantly like oh my I constantly think like I have to be better to keep up with these guys because it's so easy now just to just to kind of just do subpar shit on stage and you get away with it because people kind of know you and but it's you've just got to try and be better than that what what's in, from being a young lad who was into uh, mostly american metal music <laughs> yeah what but what inspired you with a with a band there was a there was a show all about that but what inspired you to take those first steps into comedy because a lot of, a lot of people won't know how you get into it as well well that's the thing isn't it it's um i i, I remember I, weirdly i was speaking to hannah about this last night we really went into it in depth um because i never really properly sort of told her about it but i i like i was in uh, bristol just outside bristol and uh, in a tiny little village and i didn't really know what i wanted to do but i knew i wanted to get out yeah. i knew i wanted to go some and i i i, I did national youth theater which I, which was great. It basically just made me go to London for a summer, and I was like, "Oh, London's cool." And I met some friends who lived in London, so I finished school, and essentially I just went and moved to London. And I thought, "Well, that'll do. I'll do. I'll." It feels like that's a step in the right direction. University was never for me because I just felt I never really liked drinking, and kind of it seemed like at that point everyone went to university and studied whatever and just drank sure and um three years of boozing three years of yeah. pure boozing yeah. and you come out with a media degree and then you're like oh i don't actually like want to do that sure which is fine which is fine basically i think it's about kind of figuring out in those three years what you want to do it's that's just gives you time and makes you meet new friends have new experiences that's fine but um i uh and then I, uh, so I moved to London and I was, the guy I moved in became sort of a, an actor and went to Rada and all that stuff. So I kind of naturally tried to sort of follow him, really. I thought he was the coolest guy ever. And because uh, he had... That was Benedict Cumberbatch. Like, it's Dan, that man was Henry Cavill. <laughs> and he was on this podcast. Um, he, uh, yeah, and he, uh, he, he, he had, a, his name was Toby and he had a... He was from South London, and so I had this cool accent, and I was just really posh and, or like, relatively Bristolian. My family will have really Bristol accents, and I remember being on the train to London, being like, "I'm gonna have to get rid of this if I'm gonna succeed in this world." <laughs> so I remember on the train, like, being like, "Okay, let's get rid of, let's get, get rid of the rounded R's." By the time I get to Guildford, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. By the time I got to Swindon, my voice was like this. My voice basically had no home, and then, um, and then, yeah, and I, I started doing acting. Where I got an agent somehow, and started doing some acting stuff. I did lots of theatre things, and it was great. And I weirdly, just, I didn't feel included in it because everyone sort of take them took themselves a bit too seriously for my liking. I was just like, guys, we're all pretending. Let's just fucking have a good time, and that's why I think partly why I kind of did all right because I was kind of going to auditions being like 
oh, why is everyone taking themselves so seriously? And um, then I sort of started to fall into a few comedy stuff and I started becoming obsessed with stand-up. And the reason why I became obsessed with stand-up, strangely, was, do you remember LimeWire? Yes! Right. So I had this computer in my room and uh, in London and I was like in my friend's house that I was living in for £60 a month. Which I didn't, I, which genuinely I thought that was a lot of money. Yeah, sure. I remember being like, fucking sick, mate, make Daylight it robbery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. And then um, I was, uh, I found this LimeWire thing and I was just downloading everything every night, putting it onto my iPod. That was basically every day. Being like, what? So, you remember those days where you'd be like, what can I think of? That is so true. You'd be like, um, Green Day. Yes, I'm going to download for everything while. Green Day yeah. has ever done. Steal it from their pockets, put it on my iPod. Did all that. Basically, I felt like I downloaded all of the music in the world. And so one night I was there and I literally just typed in comedy, the word comedy into LimeWire. And what came up was because LimeWire was sort of very American based, was loads of Dane Cook stuff. Uh, Because Dane Cook at that point was this huge American comic, this sort of very frat, frat. Probably the number one name in 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 live American comedy. Live American at that comedy time, at that time, yeah. huge. Madison Square, Madison Square Garden, yeah. Yeah. you know, like selling out fifteen thousand people every single night. He was the Kevin Hart of his time, right? Absolutely, yeah. And um, and he he does. I just sort of like, all right, I didn't know what that is because it was I downloaded it all, listened to it, and I was like, this is so funny, and um. So then I downloaded all of his DVDs and bought all his stuff and sort of, then I was obsessed with it and started showing it to everyone. And that was my gateway, really. That was my, that was my weed to my heroin. And um, I just... Uh, That's amazing. I became obsessed with it. And I didn't realise it was something that you could do. And then I, I, I started getting into a lot of American comics and... YouTube was kind of just starting to be a thing, really, um, but not re- not really at that point. And um, and then I was doing a play at um, the Theatre Royal Stratford East, and they had the Monday night comedy there. And uh, oh my god, yeah, I know. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember it. And I remember you just to stand at the bar, just watching this, and I was like, oh, like I. I I remember just thinking, like, oh, comedy doesn't need to be in, like, stadiums. <laughs> that was the only thing I knew, was watching these DVDs. Because you're watching the biggest of the big there, yeah. aren't you, Dane Cook? And then I was like, oh, that's interesting. I would love to do this just once. And it kind of was like, that carried on in my mind for a year or something. And um, and then I went to America. Like, I basically sort of... When my friend was had a house in LA, and I was like... Uh, he was away and so I was like oh he's like do you can stay at my house for a month if you want and I was like yeah right you know so I just went to stay in his house yeah. for a month. I had no money and so I didn't have enough money to hire a car and uh so I went to LA without a car which and Uber wasn't a thing at that point so basically I was completely landlocked to this house <laughs> so I got to his house had no money and so all I could do was walk places, and I realised very quickly that you cannot walk in LA. You cannot walk in LA. That's true. You just can't. Yeah. You look like a, a mad person. People look at you like you are 
absolutely insane. LA's like, there's some offices, then you've got to go on a motorway. Yes. <laughs> then there might be a restaurant, then another motorway. It, and uh, it's so far apart. And you look at it on the map and you're like, oh, what, that? Yeah. And then you walk it and you're like, an hour and a half later, you're like, oh. It's just, yeah. It's just, yeah. yeah. It's insane. It's not, LA's one of those places where... Um, you know, like say Las Vegas. It, whatever, you, if you've never been to Las Vegas, if whatever you think Las Vegas is like is exactly what Las Vegas is like. Where LA was so different to what I was expecting. Interesting. I yeah. thought it would be Bradley Cooper playing pool with <laughs> Madonna. You know, and it's it's just not that at all, is it? Yeah, it's a weird, and that's what I felt when I got there. Really, I was like, oh, this is not as cool as I thought yeah. it was going to be. Um, and I, I yeah, like I thought I was going to leave my house, and Jennifer Aniston yeah, was going to yeah, be yeah. stood there yeah. having coffee with Brad Pitt. And um, but in reality, it was basically nothing happening, and I, I didn't know anyone, and I didn't know what to do. And what year is this then? It's probably two thousand and six, right? And I then, in fact, two thousand and seven, I think, because I started two thousand and seven. And there was this comedy club right next to this guy's house. And so it was just the Laugh Factory. And I went there every day because it was the only place I could walk to. And I liked comedy. And um, so I just went there every day. And I sort of, it was cheap tickets early. And then I would... um, Were you going on your own then? Yeah, and then they started letting me in for free because I was just this weird little English kid who would just turn up. And... um, so then, just went went there every every like every day for about two weeks, three weeks, and then it was mad because on the Tuesday they would have the open mic nights, and that was that first time where you just go like, oh, some people are shit and learning, yeah, and suddenly that changes everything, and you go like, oh, it's not, it's not just all people who are amazing, people are learning, and it's suddenly it was everything that I'd been looking for. Because acting, for me, I was like, everyone takes themselves too seriously. And also, it doesn't feel like there's any sort of, there's no ladder to this. It's like, people are being plucked from wherever. That would annoy me that I was trying to do acting. But also, there was this kid in Harry Potter who was so much better than me. Like, there was this kid who could fucking cry. What? He's way better That's than me. So, you're right about the ladder thing. It's like, I think this is the right word, there's a meritocracy of like, you work your way up and you put the time in. And I've always been one of those people. I've never been good naturally at anything. I've always had to put in the time. Like I've... So comedy suited you well in that regard. It's so perfect for me. So to the listener, with comedy, you start on the open mic circuit, mm. which are the hardest gigs you'll ever do in your life. Yeah. Because there might be 20, literally 20 comedians on a bill. No, none of the audience members want to be there. They're probably like mates of other acts. Then you graduate to be an op- maybe an open spot on a, not even on a pro night, but maybe like a, an amateurish night. And that step is like, do you remember that step? Seismic. Huge. Uh, then you might be. Then you might be the open spot. I do like a middle ten minutes on a pro night. I mean, I'm. I'm. Things. I'm skipping some steps out here. For me, the biggest step is then the opening twenty. Because mm. when you're a new act doing the ten in the middle, and you're doing your greatest hits, and the crowd are warmed up, you can actually have some really good gigs. And you might see the opener have a tough one, and you think, "Am I better than the opener?" Mm. And then you get booked to do an opening twenty, and. Oh boy. And, yeah. and, then, and you just keep progressing, keep progressing, headline, then maybe one day 
which we'll get onto, you you go on a tour, but that takes years as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it just takes ages. And it's just little teeny weeny steps and then you take three steps back and then you take four steps forward and it's Yeah, no, so I just um I don't know, I remember I was like I decided I was gonna go home after I think being there for about a month and a bit. And because I didn't really... So did you do a gig out there? So yeah, that's what I did. I basically typed in open mic nights LA. And I thought, I'm going to do something that makes me proud of... I mean, something that that I'm proud of before I come home. Oh my gosh. And so typed in open mic LA. And there was one in this place called the Rainbow Inn uh, on Sunset Boulevard. And uh, went there. And you a pay to play thing in America, so it was like ten dollars or whatever. And uh and then yeah, performed to like five it was basically it was it would be a band and then a comedian and then a band and a comedian, oh, band God. And a comedian. And that's never a good mix, is no. it? And you had three minutes and so you're basically performing to these other bands. Yeah. And and I I went up and then you get basically get your sort of name drawn out of a hat in terms of the the running order. Some people will have spat out their coffee when you said you pay to play. Pay to play. And thinking, yeah. No, I can't have heard that correctly. Yes, you you had to pay to. In America, it's a big thing. Like, yeah. and full, it happens over here sometimes. Sometimes, it? yeah, but full credit to the English circuit that hasn't embraced that format yeah, sure. because it's frowned upon over here. It's isn't really it? like yeah. frowned upon, and. Um, but yeah, it's like, and then I did that. I did that gig, and I re- it's so cheesy. I remember walking down Sunset Boulevard, literally on the stars of like, you know, sure. these incredible names, Clark Gable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I am gonna do. I honestly remember thinking, I'm gonna do this for, for the rest of my life. This is my thing now. Now, what was the what was the euphoria like after that gig? I just remember thinking like. This uh, I remember thinking like, oh, this is something that you can get better at, that you can improve at. Like I knew that I wasn't the complete thing, that sure. I, that wasn't the full puzzle, you know. But I knew I had a piece of it, and I just had to find the other pieces. And it's like I'd never be- done anything, and I I was someone who's like I tr- I felt like I tried everything, and obviously I hadn't. But like, sure, I was always one of those kids like where. I hadn't, I like like my grades in school were all basically across the board like B's and C's, but I fucking tried so hard. I was one, I, was, I had extra tr- tuition and I had, um, you know, revised tirelessly. So if you you've to always get had B's this, work, and C's. this work ethic, so that's why I've always had it because I know I'm like an effort person, like. That's why I loved like nunchucks because if I stood it for more hours in my garden doing nunchucks, I'd be better at nunchucks. Yeah. And I was like, it's kind of the same with guitar. Like, really tried with guitar, but I just didn't naturally have that thing with music. And um, same with singing. I was like, well, I was like okay at singing, but I didn't have a natural flair for it. And, I, and it wasn't something you could get better at. The more you know, you either kind of have it or you don't. You can obviously learn stuff, but. And then I, you know, I was, I really loved skateboarding. And I would, with skateboarding, it was like every, all my friends seemed like they were better at it. They were just naturally all better at it. And I, I would get to the side, get to the skate park before everyone else for like two hours before to practice all the tricks, 
to be as good as my friends who are just good at it. Like, that's the kind of person yeah. I've always been. And, um, you know, it's the same now with, I suppose, with with gym stuff. I love it so much. And I put so much effort into it all because, and I'm, I, you know, I, I put in that extra effort and I do it every day and I stretch more than I know other people do and I do that stuff to make me to the point where other people find it easy. And I think in, when I started comedy, I, um, I sort of became known as the kid that gigged a lot. That was my thing. Wow, mate, this is sensational. I ju- that was my thing. I, yeah. just, I just was the kid, the kid that gigged a lot. I like... I've read Jimmy Carr's book and um, he said that... Naked Jape. Yeah, such a good good book. book, If you've not read it, it is fucking fascinating. And um, it's... uh, He said that he'd done 300 gigs in his first year and he had that same mentality. He was like, the the more that you do it, the better you're going to get at it. So you just got to do it. And so that was my target. I was like, he's done 300 gigs. I'm going to try and do more than 300 gigs. And so I think I beat it brief like just about i don't know whether this is right but i think i did 311 sure but um and then um and then just yeah was doing two gigs every night i was i just had i bought a bike from a charity shop so i could get so i could triple up because you couldn't do it in a car and you couldn't do it on a train you just get around quicker and i just did open mic nights just did loads of them and you saw the you would have seen the breaks naturally occur the more thing, the more you were working the better you were getting you, yeah. you just found yourself climbing that ladder yeah kind of and then, but then i think it's almost that thing it's hard for people um i mean it's definitely changed now but i i remember kind of almost have getting a break too early and i think it can happen with people because you, you signed with an agent early yeah signed with an agent and then um i did russell howard's good news probably about three years deep that now that is early isn't it it's, it's early big, and that was a big for a stand-up to get a, a set on that, that was a that was yeah. a big deal, wasn't it? That, yeah, yeah, it really was. Maybe three or four years deep, and it was just like I remember um, it being like really great. And then I did Edinburgh, and it was fine. And um, you then that again, it's that other thing, it's that next step where it's that same thing as going from open mic nights to that open spot it's such a hard step because you're suddenly you're not amongst the weirdos anymore you know you're only on an open mic night you know it's all you've got to be is confident some people are working through issues on the open mic circuit yeah they don't realise at the time but they're doing the equivalent of and I'm not being glib here some of them are doing the equivalent of therapy yeah yeah Yeah. and we kind of all are to a certain degree (laughs) but some of us are doing it in a more just a, a slightly less mad way but it's um it's uh yeah it's, it's that step i just remember that like that step is ridiculous oh yeah i remember being on that first pro night and being in the middle and even the atmosphere is more serious do you remember head, have you ever done headliners at um in chiswick yeah that was my first night where i was on in the middle yeah. as an open spot before and the lineup was fucking insane go on like um it was uh um, Mate, one of my first pro nights, I'm saying this through my jumper because I've just remembered it for the first time in years. One of my first pro nights was, uh, what's the one at Twickenham? Is it Bearcat? Yeah. And I, I just, Mate, I died so hard. I just, like... I just was so not ready for that because yeah. I was doing well on the open mic circuit, 
you know, relatively speaking, uh, got booked for that. Someone had recommended me because they must have seen me do well at like yeah. uh, uh, Rudy's Revenge in yeah. Cobra, something yeah. like that. <laughs> Jump cut to me bombing so hard to 200 people who, yeah. we, who we used to seeing but then the thing pros. is it's in your in your head it's 200 people it's probably not 200 people yeah I bet it's not because in your head oh, now because you're used to playing theatres and stuff <laughs> yeah. and doing stuff like that yeah. it's it's probably 60 people yeah yeah. like that's the mad yeah. thing I so went true. back to do that's so true I, I those are my two gigs that I remember dying I've, obviously I've died a lot in my time I'm blushing I mean it was yeah. like 10 years ago I'm, I'm blushing now mm. even remembering it I um uh, I, I remember Omidja Lily was on oh, this headliner's gig yeah. and um, Lee um, Nelson was on sure amazing and uh, someone else and just being a you know you can imagine like it's fucking insane just yeah. me just going on and doing my stuff which worked on the open and died so hard and then but again that's what's beautiful about this thing is that when you die it makes you sad but it gives you a thirst yeah you know it's yeah. like it, it just, it, you, we need it. That's our fuel, you know? It's so cheesy, but it's like, we, you know, you've just got to have those nights where you... And then you're desperate to get back on the horse the next night, aren't you? Yeah, and you I th- just... I think you probably go one of two ways. Some people will probably go, this isn't for me, I can't yeah, take true. it. true. Or you go, right, let's it's shake that so one It's so mad. It's still, still so hard if I just come home and, and you just have like a gig where you know that it's just like, ugh, they were looking at me like, what a disappointment. And now it's a different thing because they might know me from stuff. And then they're like, instead of going home, be like, oh, oh my God, there was that guy in the middle who was so shit. Now they go, Joel Domit was so shit. No, stop <laughs> it. You know, they have like a name to it now. Stop it. But it's... Um... I've, I've never, I can safely say this, I've never seen you do anything other than amazingly well well it's because you you look after a club which is <laughs> I, I will say this too easy <laughs> um it's it's fascinating i love comedy so much it's been like such a wonderful home doesn't it feel just like a comfy blanket of like you know you can go off and do all these tv shows and stuff like that and it that's that's a stress of its own and then Coming back and rewriting a new tour show, which I'm doing now, and going back into clubs and stuff, it's just like, it's just like a really warm, warm, wonderful feeling. And um, friends for life, yeah, and just seeing everyone, and you know, it's so nice. Just like like last night, seeing Rob, and Rob is fucking funny, man. He is so funny. He just has it. Yeah, and it's mad, really, because I know that people would look at me and be like. Oh, you've got you've got you've got what you need to to make it in this business and do a, all I do is I look at people like Rob and I'm like fuck I wish I was that funny man. No, mate. I, I know it's a weird thing to say, but that's what I expect. That's how all of us Sorry, feel. Don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, yeah, I was going to say don't get me wrong. Rob Beckett is insanely hilarious, but I think of you oh. as insanely hilarious. But then that's the insecurity which makes us all decent human beings. <laughs> oh, the one thing that the one thing that we have in common in terms of the comedians we are, you know, I include you and I in this. The, the comedians we are mates with all have that in common. That uh, the self doubt and all that. We're never going to be the uh, well. That's that's comedy in the bag. Well, that's you know. the beautiful thing about it is that you never settle. You never go like. Yep, completed it. Completed it. Yeah. Done it. I'm the best at this. And any time that you do think that, you're, <laughs> you, you are punched in the face by d- defeat. Sure. Because it's like there's nothing attractive about someone being on stage, being like, "Fucking look at me! I've got all the all the confidence and no like 
and no substance. You know, there's not, you know, it's not interesting to watch. So we are always humbled by, by having to go back on back into the clubs to learn how to do a new set. It, like if if comics could go out and do the same, you know, like bands, like if you you know if we were like Rolling Stones where we could, you know, where Mickey Flanagan could do the same tour I over same and over hit. again, yeah. then it'd be so, so we would be all be dickheads. We'd all be we'd all be doing the same twenty weeks <laughs> first fucking ad, and we'd all be absolute moronic dickheads. All just like we all of us would be like doing mad drugs backstage, you know, having sex with hookers and doing <laughs> and shit. But now, because we have to write a new tour every time, we're all got, we're just like, we all have notebooks and drink water. <laughs> like, like, one the, so on rock and roll. One thing I want to ask you is, um, I admire you for, for a lot of things, but one thing you did was you took your own destiny in your own hands and the the jungle i mean that was it that was that's a gamble on paper but i mean that that in the you know in the biography of your life that that's that was a real turning point wasn't it yeah it was like a weird thing for me because it was like i um I, I it was basically really frowned upon at that point with like basically if you do that then you're a has been you're you know it's it was just not a good choice, comedy-wise. Um, eyebrows raised. Eyebrows raised. Everyone. Yeah, and I... Basically, the thing that changed my mind was I wasn't getting put on Mot the Week. I wasn't getting put on 8 of 10 Cats. And I... Why, why was that? I don't know. You know, in this industry, it's like a thing where you might have had a bad gig in front of someone sure. who doesn't like you, mm. and then it's hard to get that image out of your mind. Mm. Um, also there was like better comics, like, you know, Rob being a perfect example, you know, it's like he was, he was doing great. He was people, I think there was people who had more of an instant character than me on stage. And I think that's, what's quite important on those shows. A lot of the time is to have, you know, like without, he's that guy, without Rom speaking, without Ramesh speaking, you know, exactly what Ramesh is going to say. And he always delivers on that, you know, like, you know, if you ask Ramesh about, I don't know what about Brexit, he is going to give a funny answer and in his way, in a downbeat way, you know, might not be what you're expecting, might not be what you're expecting, but he's going to, it's a, yeah, he, he, he fits his character perfectly. Same with Rob Beckett he, and Mickey Flanagan in that same way. He's just going to be like, well, no, what the hell is this about? Yeah. And it's fucking funny. With me, I think people look at me and they go like, oh, I don't really know what Joel's going to say about You know, it's not an instant character. So you knew that you knew that you had to do something. You had to be proactive to change that. Yeah. And it was just I felt like that path had been quite well trodden. That one where it was like, you do Mock the Week, you do Cats, you do Live the Apollo or McIntyre's Roadshow at that point. Yep. And you tour and that is that is you. You repeat. just do that in circle and repeat. And that's what you did. And it worked for a lot of people. Yeah. Or like a definitely a handful of yeah. people. And it, at that point, it was definitely, the, that was basically the only that way. The formula, wasn't that it, was that it. Right? Mm. And... Um, you know, it certainly had worked for like my my contemporaries as well, and my my bunch, like Josh Widdicombe and 
and it and Rob and it it's working for them and it just didn't wasn't seeming to be uh, they they weren't putting me all over the polo and I, and I wasn't like sat there going Whoa, why are they doing it yeah. I was like it's cool I always think with comedy the the beauty of it is that nothing can happen too early if you're not given an opportunity it's because even if you think you're good enough it maybe isn't because you're good enough and even if you are good enough in a year's time you're only going to be better so it's like sure. you know I probably would have been I would have loved to have been on live the Apollo after doing four years of comedy but I wasn't and that's a good thing looking back now because that would be on the internet sure you know so I um, so I, I was in I was sort of working my way up and I went to Australia to do Melbourne Comedy Festival there was a, an act called Joel Creasy who I went to, went to watch a show and it was great and it was um it was basically that he it was sold out his whole run was sold out it was like 500 seat or something and I was like you know I was like this is amazing like how has this guy sold this out this entire it didn't seem like he was an act that was like comedians were like this guy is the best it was like it was like this is amazing and it just basically he'd done the, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, the Australian version. And then he started hosting the extra show the next year. And that's how he sort of started to develop a, a following. And people loved him. And it was great. It was like a great show. And and so I just remember going home, back to my hotel, and I emailed my agent. I said, because we were starting at that point to get like offers for reality stuff. And always it was batted away because it's like, that's not what comics do. Any respectable comic did not do that. You're not following the formula. Yeah, you know? you're not following <laughs> yeah. that formula. You're not doing that. Mock the week, cats, uh, Apollo, away. Um, and I remember sending an email. I was like, maybe we should just try and break this formula and do something different. They're not operating. They're not. I'd love to find that email actually. Uh, but it's let's try something different. Maybe being this long, big email, and. Um, and then when I got back, I went in for a for a meeting with the well. I went wait to Edinburgh. It was Edinburgh. I did Edinburgh Festival, and that was going well at that point. And I was sort of building up a, 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 a sort of following in Edinburgh, yeah. and that was nice. And then I had a meeting with the I'm a celebrity people, and he was like, my agent was like, go in for the meeting and see what it's see what it's about, and we'll we'll have a discussion. And I just was like, fuck it, let's do it. Like, out of anybody, it felt like it was a good choice for me compared to most where I, I'm, pr- I'm pretty, like, I can tolerate a lot, you know? I don't mind being around people. I just sort of kill people with kindness a bit. You once said to me, you have a lot of cool to lose. Yeah, yes. you know I mean, I never see you lose your cool. You are one of the coolest people. And I mean that in the traditional sense of that, you know, you are a, a naturally even-tempered level-headed guy and yeah. for that show that fits well doesn't it yeah i think you've just got to like yeah you, there's a there's a lot going on and you just got to know how to handle it and um the only thing you got to deal with is hunger and i didn't really know how i was going to deal with that but it was kind of fine i just sort of went into the bush telegraph like the sort of equivalent of the diary room and just talked in there for like hours and and um yeah and i remember when it so when i made the decision my friend said he went to meet some comics and ev- apparently it was all these comics and everyone was going, oh my God, why is he doing this? Worst decision ever. Terrible decision. When my name was announced, they're like, oh no. Oh. And then 
the first episode aired and the next week you met up with everyone and everyone was like, it's the best decision. Yeah. Because you single-handedly changed the game. I mean, you absolutely did because now every time a show of that type comes around... There's always a comic on this it. This wasn't always the way, but now, after what you did, it's, there's always a... You bet your bottom dollar there's a comedian on There's this. always a comic on. I opened that door and... By jolly, if some people tried to close it, but it's uh, <laughs> but I opened that door. It's um, yeah, I think it's just not you know Ramsey can do strictly, and everyone's like, yeah, it's great, sells that tour. And also the thing is, you didn't know at the time that the whole nation, and and I, I can include my own family in this: mom, dad, sister, brother-in-law, crucially, two nephews. Mm. The, that's the you know three generations, and that's not just my family; that's across all of Britain. Everyone fell in love. Everyone fell in love with you. Thank you, James. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was just about. Yeah, I was also realizing like I was sat in there and I was like, "Why am I still in here? This is mental." Like Vorderman's going because you don't realize. I have no idea. You have no idea what's happening at home, and I have no idea what other people are doing because like you're separated a lot of the time to do interviews and stuff like that. So you don't know what everyone else is saying in the Bush Telegraph. You have no idea what anyone is saying oh, in. God. Like, it, like when, it's hard, isn't when it? to trials and stuff. Yeah. And I remember going on my way to it, I was always just like, how the fuck am I still here? This yeah. is mad. To people, this is, am I doing this right? I have no idea. And then I remember seeing another one of the campmates I was in there with do an interview once. I remember, like, they separated us. We were on our way to a trial. And uh, I just, they didn't move me far enough away. So I sort of was watching them do an interview. And basically... The interviewer would go like, how do you think you're going to do in the trial today? And he went, I think I'm going to do great. Going to get all the stars. And I, I was like, oh, I know where I'm staying because I'm putting in effort and I'm making that. I'm just putting that just naturally because that's what I've done through comedy for the last eight years. I was just like, I would stand there for five minutes. <laughs> To the annoyance of the other campmates, probably. Just going like, I'm going to give him my best shot. You know, who knows what's going to happen. I'm just going to pick up a star and hopefully get it. You know, that's, but if I don't, you know, I'm a bit of a butterfingers. So if I drop it, then, you know, just talk until something funny happens. They're obviously going to use that instead of someone going like, hopefully it's going to be great. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Because what you've you've done the hard yards of, of speaking into the void in yeah. the hope of, you know, some of it landing. Well, I used it as 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 therapy and yeah. That was my way of getting away from everyone. I'd just go into this box and speak to a camera for hours and just be like I was so basically Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I would always, all the other campmates would go in. You, you go in after, at certain points of the day, you always get called into this Bush Telegraph. So you'd usually go in in the morning after breakfast. Um, uh, after Ant and Deck have been in, then you'd go in the after the trial has been called. You go in then, and then you would go in after after dinner, right? So it'd be late after dinner. As soon as you ha- eat in the jungle, you just get super tired. All your energy is gone. So everyone would basically fall asleep and then get called into the bush telegraph, and um. I would always ask to be last because if I was last, then I could talk as much as I wanted Smart. and not annoy anyone yeah. because I would always spend the longest in there because I would just just chatter, just go. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and the producers are, are going great. Joel's in. They're never going to be like, thanks. We've got to get everyone. Bye. You know, but, um, but they, the, the producers know that you're going to come out with something that will make the edit. Well, that's, I was, I had sort of my, I've been in the the TV industry long enough to know that I was kind of thinking of it in terms of the edit a little bit. Yeah. I was a little bit savvy to it. You know, if I try and I would sort of talk and then if I came across something funny in my mind, then I would shorten it and say it again. To edit yourself, you know, make it concise because they're not going to put a four minute bit of you chatting. But if you can make it concise down to 10 seconds yeah. then I'll put it in. Um, and I'm sure there's other people that I was in with who did that too, uh, definitely. But um, it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, that was, and then I came out, and it's just, uh, yeah. And then I got a second, and it was just a win-win situation for me because comics have now been in since me, and they've left first, and it doesn't matter. You got like, you know, you just go back to being a comic, and it's fine. But, but that I mean, changed your life, didn't it? Ah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like was like profoundly life changing um not just because of Probably my career yeah i met my wife I, I met my wife literally like a week after i came out of the jungle and um i uh it sort of changed me in terms of like having just that time to think and think about my priorities and what i wanted and um made me yeah meet my wife and make me sort of just um, make some friends that I've now got still as friends that yeah. I met in that jungle, and it's such a weird, it's such a weird thing to talk about seriously about being in a jungle. Um, well, the t- I mean, I've I've seen uh, various iterations of the tour, and if you haven't got a ticket, you're you're in for a treat. It's it's I think it's the best show you've done, and certainly the funniest show that you've done. That's interesting. Yeah, I just it's so hard, but there's belly laughs. All the way through. Yeah. Um, when does the tour proper start then? I think it's like 20th of Feb, something like that. 20th so soon. Um, it's very um, daunting. I, I, I don't know whether you feel this, but like genuinely every time I go to like write a show or even a new bit of comedy, you go like, how the fuck did I write that bit? Like that bit. You know, you just have your your shows where you're like, "What you revisited so something from good. back in the day?" Yeah, and you went, "God, you're like, how does how can I be that funny again?" 
and you realize it just takes time and it's like oh you like that bit and then you make it funnier and then you combine it with that bit and you combine it with that and then you put a call back on the end and it's like oh cool it's it's process it takes time i've heard neil young talk about this neil young watches old he watched like old neil young yeah and he sort of made peace with the fact that i was i was just a different guy back then yeah you know sometimes it's just the headspace that that you yeah. were in you know it's interesting for me now because it's just learning to know that you're 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 different now and what what it what where do you mine the comedy from you know it's like you're, you're a different person i feel like you've you've mined as much as you can from from that place until you can't there's no more there's no more gold left and so and because you've got to now move on to a different mine sure and it's like figuring out what it what's what is funny about my life now and it's different and it's hard it's hard that transition to being like okay it's obviously like i can't be like oh i was on the bus the other day and i saw this guy because I mean, I do take the bus, but no one's going to believe me. And it's, that's also not what people want from me. People don't want I was on the bus stories anymore. They want, like, I was talking to Robbie Williams. And, no, like, I don't want to spoil anything, but the the thing is, is that there is, there's again, I'll be very careful here. There are, there are still universal themes, though. So there's, there's one very specific bit in my mind uh, that you talk about, but it's a thing that ever in the cra- even though the location might be different, mm. it's a thing that every single person who's bought a ticket can still totally relate to what you're talking about. It doesn't matter who you are, as long as you're still finding that universal theme, which is what you always, yeah. which what you always do. You're always you're always going to be mining gold, baby. Oh yeah, baby! I'm going to make a sweet necklace. <laughs> it's um yeah, it's a it's it's funny, isn't it? Just like just scattering those those tiny little pieces of comedy that are about the minutiae of life that everyone can kind of get on board with, but then wrap it in a, a bit that's about you being recognized or like, you know, that that makes it about, that makes it about you. I mean, I won't, I won't uh, you know, I'm a positive chap, so I won't say anything negative about anyone, but there are some comedians who, when they achieved a certain level of, comfort i guess mm. uh, i can think of a couple of american acts for whatever reason they just weren't as you know you can come up with your own theories weren't as funny but then i think of say someone like well i mean i've already said this this current show is still hilarious but if you look at like, someone like kevin bridges mm-hmm. one of my absolute uh favorites but he's someone who has very successfully he addresses the fact that there's a routine he does i mean the I've mentioned this to him so many times, and if he's listening, he'll be like rolling his eyes. Like, if you mention that piece one more time, <laughs> but the Diego the dog routine into yeah, Die- yeah, Diego yeah. Rivera. So that is him acknowledging to the crowd, "My life is very different now." Yeah. But because he's talking about the fact that he is self-diagnosing ADHD, yeah. and the fact that he falls down this internet rabbit hole is again something that we can all Relate get on board to. with. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, and that's what's that's what's that's the puzzle you got to figure out, you know? That's what's amazing about comedy. It's like, it's just a puzzle that we're all trying to figure out. And there is a show in there somewhere. And you've just got to like mine all your thoughts and experiences with where you are now. Put it all together. Try the different combinations. Try the different combinations. And it's just like, so I, the only thing I did really like in school was, was I, the two things that I got on board with was maths and sort of drama, really. Yeah. And I genuinely think... 
You put those together. You put those two things together and you get stand-up comedy because it literally is A plus B equals C and it's like, it's just figuring out those simultaneous equations to making funny. And there is a sort of formula to it. Sure. And it's just figuring out what your formula is. And um, sometimes it doesn't work, but you try it and it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, doesn't equal naught. And then you figure out and it equals what you want it to. I'll tell you what else you have in spades before we go. Authenticity. Every word that comes out of your mouth on stage mm. is authentically you. So some some acts will say something and it's, it, you know, for example, they might be, they're probably trying to sound more intelligent than they actually mm. are because they've crowbarred in some highfalutin reference and you might think oh i'm not quite buying the fact that that is interesting you You know what i mean yeah whereas with you everything i know is coming from that place of 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 truth um and so every person in that room buys everything that you say Mm. alan carr says in his first book uh the audience has a better i'm paraphrasing but it's something like the audience has a better inbuilt bullshit detector than you realise and that is absolutely true that's 100% isn't it it's always that thing where like you've just got to say what the audience is thinking before they've thought it and it's yeah it's it's interesting isn't it, it yeah well, that's nice of you to say I um my, my way of doing it I think is and again it's uh, finding your process is such a mad part of stand up it's like f- it, that's what takes a, more time I think it's um finding out that you're like oh this is how i write this is how i tell stories best on stage my way isn't writing out every single word and comma and because for me if i write the title of a bit then i just tell the story and i'm imagining it in my brain you're feeling it i feel it and i live it and that's, that's where you get all your ad libs from as well, isn't it? Yeah, because I write on stage mostly. And I know I hate it when people say that I write on stage. But there's an ad lib you crap the other night that we talked about afterwards. Yeah. And had you written out every single word, you wouldn't have got to that ad lib, would you? For me, often, and I do write in the day, I try and sort of, but more what I do in the day is I structure things. I don't write stuff in the day because almost always what I've written in that day, I get to the gig and it doesn't work. It's... um. I think what what happens is I usually structure and I go, oh, you know what? That ending to that would also work as a callback there. And if I put that before that and I could squash those two stories together, that's what I do in the daytime. Whereas at night, I think, and this is the problem that I'm finding at the moment, is because I'm busy and I'm gigging less than I would do, I've done five years ago, I'm finding it hard. It's taking longer to generate stuff because I'm not out every night. And you're juggling it with juggling it lots with other of other great stuff, you know. And um, but I, yeah, I just find going up on stage, giving an idea of stuff, and kind of having bullet points. Basically, you have dots of where you want to reach in the story, and string together those dots with something. And I think there's something really incredible on stage to be to to come from that panic. There's that some there's some panic in your mind where you're like it needs an end it needs an end it needs and then something just comes out yeah and somehow it's the right one or maybe it's the wrong one but it's a step on a way to finding the right one. There was a lot of endings the other night when I did your club that I hadn't had an ending for a bit. Amazing. And you just kind of go you okay. stuck the arm out and grabbed hold of that yeah vine yeah <laughs> you know? yeah and yeah. I wouldn't have never have come up that in the day but you kind of I think that's something that. 
any listener can relate to. You know, you've you, you've written that presentation, and oh god, I've left it to the last minute, but oh my god, I've done my best work at ramming speed. You know, I think you can cram your head with too much stuff. Yes, for, for me personally, yeah. Like uh, the other day. Again, I was feeling the real pressure of this tour. I was like, oh, God, I need to do this. I need to write more. So I spent two days writing, just writing stuff on my laptop, like really embellishing bits, you know, putting everything into it. And I went to this gig and it, I just, my head was too full. It was too full of stuff. So it was just really not funny. I just came home from that gig in that exact feeling we were talking about earlier where you just go, I wasn't good enough. And... um so I want to punch the wall a few times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just yeah. want to be like, fuck. <laughs> and um, and it's, my head was just too full of like lines that I'd written. Sure. Had no feeling yeah. behind it. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so I sort of learned from that and went, okay, that's not how what's best. And then I tried a different approach at your gig. That, and that is a mad thing. You know, I've been doing it for 14 years. You know, I've done loads of hour shows and still I'm like learning how to do it. It's like mad. Now I'm learning a different process for me now as a comic compared to where I was, you know, in like 2016 when I was doing Edinburgh shows. Sure. It's just different. And um, it's, it's fascinating. We were talking the other night about how now for me personally, I think it's more beneficial to do our shows, do loads of our work in progress shows and then figure out what those bits are that are about your life and because you have more more time over that hour to chat and be, you know, be more free. And then after you've got those bits that create that hour, then go into the clubs after that and sharpen them. I was kind of approaching it the other way. I was like always doing clubs trying to, because like I used to, I used to build up stuff in clubs and then make an hour by sticking it all together. Whereas I think now what's more beneficial for me is to do the hours first because now I've got the the benefit of being able to... And then add the bits. And then then take the, go like, yes, that's the bit. Then I can take that out of the hour, go to a club, do 10 minutes, sharpen it, sharpen it, sharpen it, put it back into the hour sharper do it that way instead sure because now I'm at the, i have the benefit of being able to do a work in progress and people come to it whereas before i had to do it the other way around mm-hmm. because if i did a work in progress nobody would come watch it i think i'm talking too much not at all no no i'm <laughs> mate every answer I've been, it's been like, I, I promise you i feel like i've just been talking for ages i, I don't even know what this podcast is about <laughs> Imagine she comes in, and we're going to press record now. Sorry. Oh, um, it's actually no. talking about uh, how much meat you eat. <laughs> what, um, uh, and I've done the classic thing of going, before we go, and then I've kept talking for 15 minutes. Mind. But uh, Masked Singer Series 2, is there an update? Not at the moment. I mean, I feel like it's happening, but um, it's not It's uh, not been confirmed. So, um, well, well, we'll see. I mean... You know, fingers crossed, I assume, touch wood. There is luckily a lot of wood in this room to touch. There's so much. So much wood. And, and also, um, if you'd like to find out a lot more about that phrase, buy tickets to Joel's. <laughs> yeah, there's a big bit about touch wood. It's a perfect example, isn't it? It's like the the, the scenario is my dad. Your dad would love it. Loving, yeah, my dad would love it. It's one of my favourite things I say. Where I go, my dad's favourite phrase is touch wood. <laughs> He would absolutely love it in it. When I walk into a theatre when there's loads of words, yeah. I'm like, yes, ah, yes there's please. a free laugh. 
Yes, please. And um, my... Uh, it works both ways, because if it was all metal, you'd, you could then simply My dad go, would hate it. He'd hate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> I just, it doesn't necessarily get the biggest laugh. I really love that line where I go... I go, um, my dad loves the phrase touch wood, has to touch wood. There's no negotiations. You know, I'll never forget that time we had to go back down the Eiffel Tower. I mean, that's a, it's such a, a great stupid, bit. it's so fucking stupid. It's the mental image of it's you and your dad. walking down oh, the fucking Eiffel down. Tower. It's so funny. I just, it's such a stupid job. I love this job more than anything. <laughs> I love it. It's so silly. You know, it's so... We're just coming up with stupid shit and we're allowed to do that. It's so bizarre. Uh, last thing then. What's... I don't think I know the answer, actually. Maybe I do. I don't think so. What do you do for What do you do for balance? Um, I... Yeah, I've told you this before, but I think it's... Um, keeping health healthy. That's my sure. thing. And um, it's become part of my life where I just... I just I just work out a lot and that is my way of having that hour a day where I hang out with other like I just go to a, a sort of a crossfit box and then hang out with these people where they don't give a shit who I am what I'm doing what comedy is it all that matters is that I can't lift this thing and I want to be able to lift this thing and they can lift this thing and I want to be as good as that. So that in that scenario, I'm not the alpha. They're the alpha. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think that's what's really important for balance in this business is hanging out with people who don't give a shit about you. Yeah. And and also that can to what what quantifies that too is is hanging out with people that sort of keep you on a level. Like my wife is amazing and she's someone that always has the she has the right thing to say and keeps me so grounded and even though she's also in an industry which is ridiculous but we both and also very successful as well yeah very successful at what she does and it's like and um and so it's it's just we both we both we both actually something we both share is that we both have people close to us we we're very good at um knowing who are the right people to have around you. And for me, my friend Steve, who you know very well. Top man. It's, um, he's been my friend for years and he is someone where I've kept him around me because he is the best person I know. Like he is a, such a perfect example of what I think a human being should be. He's so loyal. He's a real rock for you, isn't he? Oh, my God. He is like... And I could never be this dickhead. I could never be this showbiz prick because I would just be like, well, Steve, what would Steve think? He is like... I don't want to let down Steve. I don't want to let him down. Yeah, yeah. And it's like... I just think he 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 is like... He's everything. And I and I really hope that I give him enough in return. This is all I ever think. I really want to make sure that he feels gratified because he gives so much to me. And I just always... He will never know until he listens to this podcast how much he has done for me. Like, he's changed the way I write. He's changed the way I work. He's changed the way I... Uh, interact with people. He's changed the way with uh, of how I view family, how I 
how I want to have kids. He's changed the way that I will bring up my kids in the future. He's changed the way that of what I look for in a in a in a wife and a girlfriend, and it's um. And we we just that is my balance. It's it's obviously my wife too. <laughs> I don't want her about no, thing. But I think any listener will take this in the spirit it's intended. I think it's having those in this industry, just having those people around you. I've been around too many people where they've got all these people around them, just people that just blowing smoke up your ass and. There's just people around them. There's just there's, comics don't tend to slip into that very often, but it's uh, there's so many people where they just have like this this stylist and this this eyebrow person and this hair person and this agent and this manager and this and they all fucking cost money. You're paying for them to be there, and none of them are giving you the right advice because they're all being paid. Yeah. And so it's like... I'm just going to put my application to be Joel's eyebrow person yes, back in my please. <laughs> I do actually need to trim my eyebrows more. That's genuinely something that needs to happen. No, but you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I just think you need those people to uh, to just to, to tell you that the right thing to do... Essentially, all you need them to do is just to keep you normal. And because it's so easy in this business. John, John Maloney has this amazing um, bit uh, in... Um, John, uh, John Mulaney. John Mulaney, sorry. I was, I was talking about John Mulaney last night. It was different. John Mulaney it has this great bit um, about uh, about the Rolling Stones. And it's just such a good bit about, like, people... In, he's, in the, he's in the Rolling Stones, so he just goes, give me a Diet Coke, and it just arrives in his hand. And that's how he's lived his entire life. Sure. Yeah. So he has a completely different, skewed version of his life. <laughs> That's on which special is that? It's, it's that big one. It's, at, is it Carnegie it's not called Hall? Kid Gorgeous, is it? Um, it's, looks it's the Carnegie beautiful. Hall. It's shot. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it is, yeah. Such a good special. Lavish uh, yeah. production. And uh, you've just got to keep people around. You've just got to always, even if you don't get your own Diet Coke, you've got to want to. <laughs> at least the thought was there. <laughs> you know, I think I don't. I don't know. It's such a fucking weird industry. But also for me, I think I always kind of tear up at your gig because I blows my mind. This is all I've ever wanted is to be able to come to a tiny room of people, you to be able to put it on the mailing list that Joel Domit's going to be there, and fifty people turn and up. And they'll immediately go like that. Fifty people are there and I can try new stuff. That's yeah. all I've ever wanted. Like touring is obviously a beautiful byproduct of that and TV and stuff. But I love it. Just being able to do new stuff and create things in front of us and people are people are fucking there. Like I haven't had to put on my Facebook and get my f- cousins to fucking come <laughs> and still only twelve people and their dog are there. Like I used to run to do these gigs at the Etcetera Theatre where there'd be like six people there, you know, and I'd paid for the space and Sure. It's like I just have to I just do an Instagram of people people come to the show and I'm sure it will diminish. Stop that. And and ruin it. It's just it the start. Time. This is just the start, baby. But that for me, and I this is what I hope you know, it's so important to me and so it's so it feels like it's like the epitome of what I've ever wanted is to all I want to do is fill those 50 seats so I can be shit in front of them. 
Uh, Joel, I can't thank you enough. You're you're one of the best people I know, so thanks, man. I love you so much. So if you want to buy the tickets, Google Joel Domit Tour will do the trick. Yeah, something will come up. Don't Google image it, but um, <laughs> so, but just keep it on web search and you'll find my website. Is it joeldomit.com? I think it is joeldomit.com. I, I think it's dot .com. Or dot .co.uk. I think I've got both. There's only one other Joel Domit in the country and um, he lives in Milton Keynes. Where's um, the name from? There's actually a... Um, a village in Somerset called Domit. And there's a sign, it's a famous sign, like old sort of metal sign that points to the village Domit. And um, I think it's more of like a hamlet, not really even a it's village. It's a great name, isn't it? And um, basically my dad has got a picture there, my, my brother's got a picture there, my grandfather's got a picture there, Amazing. my great-grandfather's got a picture there. So, I mean, I should probably do it. Do it. <laughs> if you haven't liked this... Listen to the Henry Cavill episode. What a what a fucking beautiful man he is. He said the same thing about you. He's... <laughs> Love How about that? Thanks, man. What a guy, Joel. When I when I grow up, I want to be like Joel Domit, even though I'm probably the best part of a decade older than him. Uh, JoelDomit.com. Buy tickets um, to his tour show uh, at JoelDomit.com. What a lovely guy. Sorry, this is just me reading about Joel Dom on the internet. <laughs> Such a what, a what a wonderfully shambolic end to uh, a, a lovely episode. Um, as ever, if you oh by the oh crikey, sorry, I've not I can't believe I've not even addressed this. Um, if you're still with me, I hope you are. <laughs> the Henry Cavill episode that went out Monday. Um, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all the many shares and comments and emails and. Um, Messages across social media. Extraordinary. Thank you. Very, it, thank you. I'm, I'm well aware that the, the messages were directed at Henry rather than myself. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a fool. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it was really lovely. It, what it was was just a sea of warmth and positivity and uh, the admiration that everyone has for uh, a fine young man in uh, in Henry Cavill and uh, another fine young man in, in Joel Domitz. So if you've enjoyed the episode, as with the Henry one, spread the word, tell your friends. We are at Balance LDN. I am at James Gill Comedy. Our website is balance.media. Um, thank you as always. I, I really mean that. I'm really grateful. So uh, I've been James Gill. Uh, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>